0: You're listening to leaning toward wisdom, the podcast, modern tales of an ancient pursuit. Are your muses too unreliable? <music> Helen Hansen. She is a writer of thriller fiction. She once wrote, inspiration is the windfall from hard work and focus. Muses are too unreliable to keep on the payroll. Are your muses too unreliable? Let's talk about it. A muse is a person or personified force who is the source of inspiration for a creative artist. I would modify that definition slightly by saying that a muse is any source of inspiration for creativity. Do you have a muse? Have you ever had a muse? Through the years of leaning toward wisdom, I have talked about two that have occupied the yellow studio from the beginning for now. Well, over 22 years. Speaking of yellow studio, greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaning toward Find lots of episodes. You might even find a few non episodes. I still occasionally hear from people in the audience who read the blog, as they call it. We call them show notes as podcasters, but kind of amazed at people that will read copy and they won't click play. But it's fine. I'm, I'm not opposed. In fact, it, it speaks to one of the big muses that I have mentioned for a long, long time here inside the Yellow Studio, and that is Books books I love to read the other is a guitar it was back in July that I started the great purge I won't bore you with the details you can go back and hear all about it if you haven't been paying attention around 1500 books give or take exited the yellow studio Donated to the local library where I suspect the majority of them were sold in an annual sale to raise money for said library. The few that I decided to keep well under a hundred titles. I don't know the exact number. I boxed those up safely stored them away for the next chapter, the next iteration of the yellow studio. This is version 2.0 version 3.0. Lord willing is Coming sooner or later by mid August, whatever muse, the books had served, well, it was gone or was it well, the books were gone, but any muse or source of inspiration, well, that seemed far from gone, uh, the sleep (laughs) I'm a hopeless insomniac sleep in the books. They were gone, but the inspiration, it was running full throttle, wide open. And I began, this is sometime around July, August. I began this unprecedented recording role prompted by hours and hours and hours of writing. Feelings, phrases, words, quotes, lyrics, and photographs prompted the chasing of many ideas. I'm not saying any of the ideas are good. You know, you're, you're the one clicking play, so you can decide for yourself. I only know that I had more episode ideas brewing than I had ever had before. You know, usually I am working on any given time with this podcast, leaning toward wisdom, I'm usually working on uh, four to six ideas. Half of them are never going to see daylight. Uh, because easily half of them are just going to languish. You know, they're never going to get fully developed. Uh, some of them are just, I'm just going to abandon them, but I don't erase them. And suddenly in the span of, I don't know, a month, maybe less, I looked around and I realized, you know, man, I've got 20 drafts going. I've got 20 show ideas that have a title and at least a couple of paragraphs of notes. And I started, well, I started to look at the totality of these things and trying to figure out, okay, which ones do I want to push across the finish line? One idea begets another it's always worked that way for me. And there was no attempt to keep that habit in play. I wasn't trying to produce new ideas because i already already knew i got i got more ideas than i really have time to pursue didn't matter it happened anyway one idea would spark another idea now my workflow just so that you know has been to look at these ideas so typically like i said it's four to six ideas and i'm looking okay i mean does one leap out one one is always going to kind of leap out and Whack-a-mole, right? I mean, it raises its head and gets my attention. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to. Now, 24 hours later, I could be looking at the same list and I could, and a different one could whack-a-mole rear its head. And I'm chasing that one. And I'm not a distracted person. I'm not, I'm not a hyper, uh, jump here and there kind of a guy. I'm, I'm typically start to finish or at least I try to be kind of a start to finish kind of a guy, but here I am. I'm I'm in this newfound mode of man. It's just thoughts and ideas are coming pretty fast and furious. I would sit here inside the yellow studio headphones on and I'm listening to the Bodine's or Dawes or the heavy, heavy, or it could be anything. Rykoot Jackson Brown, John Prine, Tom Petty, and I'm noodling on an idea. Headphones are on music's playing. I got this one draft that I'm kind of working on this one thing that I'm okay. Let's push this episode across the finish line. Let's get this thing ready to record. And some phrase, maybe some lyric, maybe some photograph, something prompts me then to open a new draft where I would, as I'm, my habit is, I would create a title, just a title. Okay. Maybe, maybe if, if I had it, I would craft some sentence or something. I'd make a note so that I could give that title some context. So when I come back to it, okay, it'll spark, respark the memory and, I'll ha- at least have a launching off point. And then I'd go back to my original work. Well, I kept finding that that ha- that would just happen over and over and I'm like, okay, well the ideas are just growing. The episode ideas are growing. You know, great. Now instead of finishing one idea, I've just created yet another idea, I would think. You know, never mind. I I just I would try to get right back and trudge forward. To at least get one episode pushed across the finish line. I just, I leaned into the process. And then I got COVID. I got COVID sometime in uh, August. It was my first foray with the virus. And I will forever blame my contracting it on, well, in part, my, my poor sleep habits provoked mainly by all the changes that was, were going on in life and the changes that I was planning. By the way, changes that I was completely desiring to make, changes I was looking forward to, but, you know, changes that were still putting my mind into, uh, well, or I should say putting my mind on a higher octane than maybe I had experienced in quite some time. I wouldn't describe my mind as racing so much as doing cartwheels. And I'm usually a bit more settled than that, but man, I, I was I was not then and as I hit the record button today, I'm I'm not today either. So this is not the norm. But listen, as you and I both know, we've never been here before. Here, right here. We've never been here before. We've never been this age. We've never been at this age in this place under these circumstances, trying to do whatever it is we're trying to do. We are all in uncharted water as we enter a new day or a new night I thought about the muse and I thought about my references that I have made through the years, especially on this podcast to my, my two most mentioned muses books and this guitar, the biggest muse, the one that required clearly the most space and was the most obvious. Well, the books, they were gone. I was no longer surrounded by all the book spines That had surrounded me for years and I was, I was happy about it. Check that I was thrilled about it. I never did experience the sadness. I did not experience the difficulty that I predicted. Now, before the great purge, I had dreaded it. I had been fearful that I would struggle to decide which books am I going to keep, which books are going to go. But on the first day of sorting, I found myself fully engaged to see how few I could keep and how many I could part with. So I piled the books in the hallway, just outside the yellow studio at one end of the hall were the keepers at the other end were the goers and it quickly became a game to see how small I could make the keeper section and how large I could make the goer section. And you know what? It was easy. It it was super easy, far easier than I had imagined. And instantly, it was liberating. Once the books were gone from inside the Yellow Studio, I sat here and I wondered if my proverbial muse, these books, I wondered, were they a muse at all? Or were they rather a weight, an impediment? What if I'd been wrong all these years about these books serving me as a muse? And that's when I began to noodle today's episode. Driven by my curiosity about these two perceived muses inside the yellow studio. Do you have a muse? Have you ever had a muse? And if so, what what do you think? What do you think made it a muse? What makes a muse? For me, books were always inspirations for ideas. I would read them, and while I admit most, it's a horrible thing to say, but I just said it, I would read them, and I admit that most of them were not worth the time invested to read them. But, you know, many of them had at least one decent idea that I could latch on to, and the titles, I would look at these titles, they would stare at me from these shelves, and the titles would remind me when I had first read that book and I would have some thought about it. The titles alone often would serve to spark an idea. And looking back now that the books are gone, I really wonder if they were less inspirational and maybe more of a visual crutch. Did you catch what I said up front about the things that inspire me? Feelings, phrases, words, quotes, lyrics, and photographs prompted the chasing of many ideas. Well, only one of those is specifically visual photographs. And so it made me wonder, it made me wonder why I ever thought the books were a muse, which led me to the quote, that quote by thrill, thriller writer, Helen Hansen Her statement hit me. Muses are too unreliable to keep on the payroll. Muses are too unreliable to keep on the payroll. And that's when I began to ask, are my muses even muses? And are they too unreliable to keep around? Well, it turns out I had my answer. Well, at least I had my short-term answer on the books. Not only were they not the muse I thought they were, they may have been a hindrance. A reminder of the creativity of others, but maybe not the provoker of my own creativity that I had always thought. Now, back in July, I updated my personal website over at randycantrell.com. And it's just, it's not much of a website. Uh, You can go check it out if you want, randycantrell.com. And now in July, I had written, I had updated. It's kind of, here's what I'm up to at the moment. And I had included in July's version of, of that update, it included a renewed focus on creation over consumption. So I was already thinking about these things long before I started the great purge in July. I had been growing tired of all the time invested in reading books and frankly, any other kind of consumption, only to be frequently disappointed in the content, or to look at my clock and to realize, you know, I have I wasted more time doing this, and I could have just I could have just been more creative during that same time frame. Mostly I think what I had really grown tired of was the marketing of books, the constant overpromising and under underdelivering. Don't believe me? I just go, go scope out Amazon. Go check it out. Now, I know that may sound harshly judgmental, and I admit it is. But it is based, well, it is steeped in my personal experience. There is one small but major caveat here. That these were mostly business books. These were mostly nonfiction books that I was thinking of. Because these were mostly the books that I parted with. Were these books based on creativity? Well, well, okay, some, maybe, some not. And then the reality, the reality of what these books had really served, it hit me. The books had helped me. They had provoked thought. They had provoked questions. I mean, even the bad ones had done that. Even if the question was, why in the Sam Hill did they write this book? Um, So... There I was sorting books in the hallway, dividing the keepers from the goers, mere feet apart from one another, some destined to find their way into the hands of new owners, others destined to remain with me, likely for the duration at least of my life, however short or long that may be. And the money and the time invested in them had been worthwhile, I suppose, if only because they had forged me into the person looking for thoughts and insights and experience and wisdom and questions. And I figured, okay, even the bad ones, I guess had taught me something, right? Trying to be optimistic here, but then I kept thinking, you know, but none of that means that they're a muse. And it didn't mean that my past passion to buy and read books, that that had to remain just as it had in the past. I mean, for starters, there now are so many new mediums from which ideas can be collected and sparked like podcasts. Information is freer than ever before. And I'm not saying that books are outdated because I still love to read. I love books, but today's love doesn't look or feel quite the same. I would tell you that I'm less hungry today for books than I have been in the past. And I think it's because they once served as a gateway for me, kind of the primary Avenue for learning today for me, less so. And it has made me now today, way more discriminating when I look at books. Now I've got an advantage. I got to tell you, cause I'm an old man. And when you've read as many business and leadership and organizational behavior and books of that ilk, like I have, I suppose it improves your discernment radar. Uh, It's not a hundred percent accurate, this radar, but it's way more accurate than it's ever been because I'm now able to figure out more easily a book that's liable to be worthless. It's way easier to identify the worthless book than it is the book. That's maybe really worthwhile. I know it's a negative way to look at it, but it's just easier. I learned that the muse wasn't gone but that my thinking that books were a muse was gone. Well, more specifically, my having read them, the hours that I spent pondering ideas, maybe that had been the muse all along. Oh, the books had helped for sure. They'd been a vehicle. They'd been a vital part of the process, but there really was no inspirational quality inherent in the books themselves, maybe as I had originally thought. And of course, then I got fixated on the creation versus consumption. I mean, it seems to me, this is the common plight of the digital age. Consumption is a habit because well, there's just so much being created and then, well, that's a great paradox. Creation is easier than it's ever been before, but so is consumption. The avalanche of content is begging for eyeballs and earbuds. And some of it finds an audience. Much of it does not find an audience. And so somebody is creating stuff. A whole lot of somebody's are creating stuff. And that includes books, books that are still being written, books that are still being published. We are driven to consume, which is why you hear about movie studios and networks and streaming services, hungering for content, 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 content. We need content. Why do we need content? Because people are looking for content. And about now I started thinking about this whole muse thing, this whole creation versus consumption thing. And well, frankly, I was beginning to think of it in a negative light, potentially negative. And you know where it started? It started with a network. It started with a network as I'm, I'm sitting here in the studio late one night and I'm watching HGTV. This is a network devoted to Hawking housewares and flooring and paint and other items that you need so that you can make your house better. Just like the ones you see on TV. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I love HGTV and a number of the renovation shows. I really enjoy. Marketing is designed in part to lure us to create, or at least identify our need or our desire. And so sparked by watching young women posting updates on social media and the creative things they were doing in their homes. I began to think about this whole muse thing. And I began to think about how HGTV and other platforms were fueling dissatisfaction with our spaces, particularly our homes. Well, I don't like my house. My house doesn't look like that. I mean, look at that, man. Look at that kitchen. That kitchen looks so much better than my kitchen improving something growing. These are important components of my life. I love them. I'm devoted to these things. I get it, but I'm sitting in here and I'm watching this. And I'm, I'm mostly, I'm thinking of the investments that are being made in money and time, kind of like I did with books. Now remember this is happening. I've been in the throes of the great purge, something that didn't require any money. It did require some time and effort, But I think it's also important to remember that at this particular time that I'm remembering, I'm leaning harder into a more modest way of life. It's the whole reason for the purge. It's just where I'm at in life. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just just where I was. It's where I am. And as I am wont to do, I started mulling over Childhood creativity. This is how my mind works in the middle of the night. I'm sorry. I mean, I can't. It is what it is. So I'm watching HGTV and I'm thinking, you know, all the people that are watching this thing and all the people that are growing more discontented with their own kitchen, their own den, their own living, their own bedroom. Oh, and the master bedroom, master bath. I will forget it. You know, I mean, give me a break. I, I don't have look at that soaker tub. I don't have a tub like that. Why? I need a tub like that. Man, I could so see myself in a tub like that. And I'm thinking of all that. And for some reason, I'm thinking about childhood creativity. And I'm remembering all these lazy afternoons where we would just lay around under the pine trees, staring up at the sky. I mean, we've already built a fort. We've already played the baseball games. We've already played whatever games we've played. And we're just taking a break now and trying to figure out, okay, now what are we going to do in a word we're bored, we're bored. And if you don't think that boredom will help kids learn creativity, well, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Cause I can tell you boredom, boredom fueled an awful lot of creativity. When I was a kid, boredom was the muse and I'm watching this HGTV show. And I'm thinking about that. And I'm realizing okay, well, people are bored with their homes. We were bored as kids. These people are bored. I'm bored with my master bathroom. I'm bored with my bedroom. I'm bored with my kitchen. And so HGTV provides some terrific inspiration and ideas on how we might alter our living spaces to be better. Well, okay, well, at least different. A muse of sorts. Is the marketing done on HGTV? By the way, you do realize that all of HGTV is marketing. I mean, whether it's through advertising or programming, it's, it's all, it is all marketing. 100%. Is it a muse? Well, it's cert it's certainly not how I had always thought of a muse, but on this particular evening, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe, I mean, it could fit the bill. If you consider the ability of a muse to foster (laughs) discontentment, it's not really how I had seen muses before. I still don't. Cause for me in that moment, it smacked more of covetousness than it did inspiration for creativity. It was just like, Oh man, look at that. I want, I want that. I don't have that. And then I, Cast my eyes over to my left and I see the guitar, my guitar. One that I saved up for dollar by dollar for, I don't know, a few years until I could afford it. Still in the case, still with that static plastic protector on the pick guard. Never mind that I bought the guitar back in 2007. And like the books, I had two distinct memories of the guitar, and they both involved some people that I love. One, an old friend who passed, and the other, a a young lady who, in fact, just months ago became a first-time mom. Two people, two people who create music, something I've never done, two people who can play the guitar, something I've never learned, They are the only hands that have fretted this guitar since I bought it brand new in 2007, Stanley, my lifelong boyhood friend who died back in 2013. He was the first to play it. Sophia young lady who married a young man that I'd grown close to. She was the second only those two along with the books, I've long declared that owning a guitar, even though I don't play the guitar, has served as somewhat of a muse. But really, it's just based on my love affair with the instrument, a love affair that never drove me to learn it, but it did drive me to listen to other people play it and appreciate their abilities. Well, not this particular guitar, but just the guitar in general. So here I sat inside the Ella studio, having concluded that the freedom of the books is now serving me better than hanging on to them. I mean, I've, I've got this. Is it an outlier? Could be. Is it systemic? Don't know. I just know that I'm in this wave of producing ideas. Again, you can judge good or bad. I don't know, but the volume, the volume of the creativity without question is, is amplified and it's then that I realized my love affair with the guitar didn't have anything to do with owning one because the reality was that owning a guitar had only served as a reminder that I could if I wanted walk over there get it from the case and try to learn but I never have I never have and I've owned guitars almost all of my adult life Fact is, I'm never going to learn because long ago, I realized that what I enjoy, I enjoy hearing great guitar players more than I ever wanted to become one. And there is nothing appealing to simply knowing how to play. I would much rather listen. I would much rather watch other people who do it well. So what to do with this muse? That may not be a muse at all, this guitar. Well, if, as Helen Hansen claims, a muse is too unreliable to keep on the payroll, well, something that isn't a muse is surely too unreliable to keep around. Maybe. And then I decided I would aim my attention at the first sentence of Helen's quote Inspiration is the windfall from hard work and focus. Well, my hard work and my focus have never been on learning to play the guitar. My hard work and focus when it comes to the guitar has been on listening to and appreciating how well other people could play. I hadn't worked hard at all to learn. I had invested a ton of time into hearing other people play though. But this guitar, this particular guitar, this guitar has been played by a friend who was closer to me than a brother. In fact, he was the brother I never had. I did some shows about him, so I won't belabor it here. All you got to do is go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. Just search Stanley, and you'll find them. Now, let me be clear. This guitar is not some classic high-end instrument. This is not some collectible. It's a middle-of-the-road guitar that I got because I thought it might it might give me a better shot at learning to play the guitar because this particular guitar has a lower action. Now the action on a guitar is the height of the strings off the fretboard. And the higher up they are, the harder it is, the more difficult it is, the more pressure you have to apply with your fingers to fret the guitar, to make a sound. Well, learning the guitar, any guitarist will tell you, is not the most comfortable thing to do, which is largely why many of us who set out maybe to learn, gave it up. So I'd save my money and I get this particular guitar because it's got a lower action and it is way more comfortable to play than your typical acoustical guitar. Well, obviously my plan was more in my head than in my fingers because I never did the work keeper or goer this guitar. Well, this was a whole lot tougher thing. This was a much, much tougher decision than the books because even though it was less of a muse than the books there were specific people associated with this guitar one of whom was extraordinarily special to me and i've got audio recordings of stanley playing this guitar you know i went so far i i, I go over i get the guitar out of the case i grab my phone i begin to take some pictures because now in this moment it's the middle of the night. Remember, I'm anticipating I might sell this. And at some point, I grew sad. I grew sad for the instrument. I grew sad. Here's this instrument built to be played, and it's not. And if I keep ownership of this thing, it's never going to be played because I'm never going to learn. And I begin to think, is this I mean, is this guitar destined to live its entire life in a case, a pick guard that the protective sleeve hasn't been removed in 15 years, a pick guard destined to be free of pick marks, a fretboard completely devoid of human fingertip oil. I mean, is that, is that going to be the destiny of this instrument? And I wondered how many songs, how many songs. How many songs this instrument has already sacrificed over a 15 year life because of just some unlucky draw of being sold to a guy in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, a guy that's never going to play. And I felt sad. I felt sad for the guitar. I know I gave, I, I did. I absolutely gave human emotions to this inanimate object, this guitar. And it drove me to take those pictures thinking you know maybe it's best maybe it would be best to find this a home where it can be put into the hands of a player instead of a dreamer i just couldn't think of it i took the pictures i upload the pictures to my computer and i'm sitting here and i'm looking at these pictures and i just can't think of this thing as being a goer since 2007 it's been a keeper a few songs, only two players, an old man, my age, Stanley. James Elmore was only 56 years old when he passed. He was born on April the 11th, 1957. He passed from this earth on May 12th, 2013. He was one of the players and the other was a young lady, Sophie Smith, Elliot still very much alive, and now a wife and a mom, a Mississippi girl. This guitar may not be a muse, and it may not be reliable in the least, well, at least not in my hands, but it has a priceless value for me. It, is, it, it, it has a value that it would not have with anybody else. So here I am in the middle of the night. I'm pondering these ideas and I'm thinking, are memories a muse? Because if memories are a muse, this instrument fits the bill. And that earlier statement that I had made feelings, phrases, words, quotes, lyrics, and photographs prompted the chasing of many ideas. I added an important muse, one that had been staring at me the whole time memories. Memories. And I changed the sentence from past tense to present tense. And I also made it a bit more personal and I made it more specific. And I reframed that sentence like this memories, feelings, phrases, words, quotes, lyrics, and photographs prompt me to chase new ideas. Memories, feelings, phrases, words, quotes, lyrics, and photographs prompt me to chase new ideas and with all apologies to helen i modified her quote too to more ideally suit my current situation and i reframed it like this inspiration may be the windfall from hard work and focus but muses are sometimes too valuable to part with Time is marching right on. We are winding down the year. Hard to believe, isn't it? We say it every year. But here we are on December the 8th, 2022. And we're just mere weeks away from turning a chapter and celebrating a new year. We're also just mere weeks away from Rhonda and I celebrating anniversary number 45. Lord willing, we'll see the sun rise and we'll be able to hold hands, look longingly into one another's eyes. (laughs) I'd love to tell you we do that, but we don't. We should. Speaking of muses. She's the biggest muse of all. For me. You didn't think I'd end without. Bringing that up, did you? I hope you've got somebody that special. Somebody who is that. Powerful enough of a source. For inspiration to help you grow and improve and become a better human, because man, we all need it. I've longed to find wisdom as getting it right in real time. The best way that I know to get it right in real time is for us to have high self-awareness, high introspection, and trusted people around us who care enough about us that they will challenge us in all the best ways to make sure that we're seeing it right. The website is LeaningTowardWisdom.com Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit The podcast and the website are powered by age, experience, wit, and sarcasm. That's provided by me, Uh your beloved host, Randy Cantrell. From Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio.